Amen. We rest in the peace that he gives, and we are desperate uh, for that in our, in our world. Uh, we live in a world where people are uh, desperate um, for peace, looking for it in so many places, but in the, the wrong places. Uh, we're going to be today in uh, both Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1. Um, I want to I go ahead and pray for us, and we'll, we'll kind of jump in this morning. Father, we're grateful Lord, for peace that only you, uh, only you give. And Lord, that peace was made possible, God, through the, through the cross of Christ, Lord, that we could be made right with the holy God, Lord, and that we could have our sins uh, forgiven and relationship restored, Lord. And we are so grateful for that, Lord. And we pray this morning, God, as we look at two people, Lord, in the Christmas story that are so familiar, Lord, as we look at Mary and Joseph, Lord, that you might... Lord, in the, the power of your spirit, God, in the proclamation of your word, God, that you might call us to, uh, every one of us, Lord, to greater obedience, to greater surrender. God, that you might call us to live counterculturally in the midst of this world for the glory of your name. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we are walking through this series where we're taking uh, the word peace and we've made kind of an acronym of that and been looking at different letters along the way. If you remember on the, the first week, we looked at some Old Testament prophecy and just talked about how uh, that, that there was, it was a promise of peace, right? And there was this promised Messiah that would come uh, and be born. Uh, we uh, just leaned in. Uh, to that, uh, to that truth and that wonderful reality, right? Week two, we talked about just this extraordinary God that we have and, and how great our God is. And it is only in his greatness and his majesty uh, could any of these things take place. Last week, we looked at the assurance that we have, right? Our peace, really the, the greatest peace that we can have is knowing that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing that we have been born again, that we have been reconciled uh, to God and that we have uh, passed from death to life. And so we looked at that last week. And this week we're looking at letter C and we're going to be talking about what it looks like to live counterculturally. Now, when we think about this call to live countercultural lives, there's a, a definition I'll uh, put, we'll put on the screen, but, uh, but it gives us this really this thought of a culture who val whose values and whose norms uh, of behavior differ substantially from that of mainstream society, right? And we see people sometimes that just want to be different for the sake of being different, right? We see people that just want to stand out or maybe they do something that causes them to stand out. We all maybe have seen people like that, but we are not looking for that kind of reaction. Now, sometimes as following Christ in the midst of this broken world, you can almost look at the world that's around us and you can say, you know what, if, if this is how the world's doing, then I'll just do the opposite of that and it'll be right, right? Because that's just the condition of the culture that we live in. But here's the truth. Christ followers, we're countercultural because we're obedient to Christ. That's the reason that we look different from this world. We're not trying simply not to look like this world, which we, we definitely want to do that, right? The Apostle Paul wrote, don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed. And we're being transformed through the renewing of our mind. We're being transformed. We're being conformed, right, into the image of Christ. Uh, God is doing a work uh, in us if we are in Christ to conform us to his image. And our role, right, is to walk in obedience. And here's the beautiful thing. If you're following Jesus and you're walking in obedience, then you can trust God for the result, right? Our job is to be obedient. And then we trust God to do the work. We, we walk in obedience. So we're going to talk about that 
this morning. Now, uh, John Stott said this about followers of Jesus. He said, followers of Jesus are to be different, different from both the nominal church and the secular world. Now, there's a lot of people celebrating Christmas. There's a lot of people that have manger scenes in their homes. There's a lot of people that if they were to check a box, right, that they would identify themselves as Christian, right? But, but when we see that followers of Jesus Christ walk in obedience to Christ, right? Last week, we said that endurance was the evidence of our salvation, right? That God is working in us, that we're growing in our relationship with Jesus. We see uh, those kind of things, right? And so uh, we, we recognize that, right? That it's different from both the nominal church and the secular world, different from both the religious and the irreligious. So here's the, the thing that we see in scripture, right? Is that the gospel changes everything and the gospel changes us and that God changes us from the inside out. And so as we look into the Christmas story today, we're going to see a, a story of countercultural obedience. We're going to see uh, a story uh, of countercultural surrender, right? We're going to see that just some beautiful things there. And, and we're going to see that, that peace is found in obedience to Christ. And so we're going to look at Mary and Joseph. We're going to look uh, at just this, this picture of them uh, in the Christmas story. We're going we're gonna to see in this though, and I love the fact that when we look at Mary and Joseph, we see that God, he desires and he uses ordinary people to deliver Jesus to the world, right? And that's good news for us. I, I want to remind you that God can use ordinary people to deliver the message of Christ and God will use ordinary people. Fact is, those are the kind of people that he uses, so let's jump into Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, uh, and we'll just look into these two, uh, two pieces. We'll be in Luke 1 and Matthew 1 this morning. So here in Luke chapter 1, we, we pick up the scene that the angel Gabriel visits Mary, right? And so this is, this, he's got some big news, right, for her. So we're going to lean into this. Uh, verse 26 says this, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Now, when you think about that, Nazareth, that just means like podunk. That's like nowhere. That's like auto, right? That, that's like small. Like if you just kind of drop. And so, and here's this thing. There's like maybe less than 200 people there. Everybody knows everybody. This is the kind of place that we're talking about. We're kind of, we're, we're in that. So here, uh, the angel comes uh, to a girl, right? We're going to see this. And we see the, the person that he comes to in verse 27, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now we see in this passage, it says that they were engaged. In Matthew's gospel in chapter one, we're going to see him use this word, uh, the word uh, that is um, betrothed. And so this word betrothed is a word that we don't use a whole lot. And so we want to lean in just a little bit to what that looks like. We're going to talk a little bit about what that Means so in the, the Jewish time, right, in their uh, custom in Israel, that the marriage process was divided out a little bit. So there was this beginning stage, and in this beginning stage, there was this place where uh, the parents, how many, how many of y'all got to pick your wife? Like, if you're a man in here, I'm gonna tell you this is like a bad time not to raise your hand if you're married, okay? I just wanna give you this at the beginning. So if you're, I'm trying to help y'all because us guys, and we need all the help we can get. Like, if you are married in here and you got to pick your wife, raise your hand and say, Praise Jesus, right? That's the kind of. All right, okay, now if you didn't get to pick your wife, maybe, maybe there's still some customs that are going on, right? But so what we saw was that the parents would do this matchmaking thing, and sometimes they would have this matchmaker, and they would look uh, and kind of examine uh, this, this deal, right? They would, and, and if they thought things were going to be okay, they would enter into this formal agreement. They would enter into this contractual agreement. It would be something that would take place uh, even in the synagogue, and it was, it was made and it was sealed by this price, right, and this payment, uh, this, this dowry, right, or this bride price. Now, if, if you've got a 
a baby girl, maybe this is a good thing, right? Maybe we should bring that part back, right? It was paid by the groom's family. It was made either paid by the groom to the bride's father. And when that happened, they entered this second phase called betrothal, right? So that's the kind of thing that we would see. Now, I'm thankful we're not in those days, right, to be honest, because I can tell you a couple things. I'm not really sure exactly who my parents would have picked for me to marry, but I can tell you one thing. I can tell you who Sherry's parents would not have picked. Like, I'm... (laughs) Like, I'm 100%. Like, you just wonder, like, I know. Like, 100%. That would not have happened. Okay? So, I'm thankful we're not in those days. Thankful the Lord knows best, right? Uh, and so, here we are, right? And, and so, we see this, uh, th- this picture, right? They enter into this formal agreement. And that second stage, that was the, the part, that was the stage that they would call betrothal. And during this stage, they were bound together. Uh, the only way that they could, could separate would be uh, through divorce, right? And so in this kind of setting, if the woman was found uh, to be pregnant, if, if the woman was found pregnant in that time, she would be viewed as an adulterer and she could be publicly stoned. Now that's pretty heavy, right? The, the groom also had the option of dealing with things in a private matter. And so here they are in the midst of this betrothal in this little town of Nazareth where everybody knows everybody. And Mary's got some dreams, right? Because like every little girl, like if you're a, a young person in here and you are a, a little girl, right? And you're growing up or you're a teenage girl, you, you already got this thing planned out, right? You've been thinking about that day, right? When you get married since you were a little bitty girl, right? You know exactly what you want. You know all these things that are going to be there. You've been dreaming about all those things, what they're going to look like, how everything's going to be. You, she, Mary probably already said yes to the dress, right? She are, and it's probably like nothing, you know, fancy they were poor. But so, so she's in that kind of mode, right? And she's been dreaming about it. She's got a Pinterest link. She's been pinning all that stuff. She knows all those things. Joseph's a carpenter. He could care less about the wedding day, but he's been... Anyway, and so we're thinking... We're thinking like as he's, as he's going, all he, all he has to do is build an arbor. That's all Joseph has to do, right? He's a carpenter. Uh, he's going to show up. He's going to stand where she tells him to stand. All those things are, are going to work out good, right? That's, that's kind of the thing that we're in. And so most scholars think that, that Mary, she's probably like 12, 13, 14. I like to keep stretching it because it seems crazy uh, for her to be that young. But right, scholars would think she's like 12, 13, 14 years old, maybe 15, you know. And, and so here, this angel shows up and comes to her. Look at verse 28. It says, and coming in, he said to her, now this is like something I'd like to hear. Like if, if, if an angel's going to show up, I'm loving this language, right? Greetings, favored one. I'm like, yes, like God, you noticed? Look, this is awesome, right? And I mean, this is good news. If, if you're, I mean, if an angel's going to show up, right? You're scared. All those things are there. And he comes in and says, hey, favored one, the Lord is with you. And now Mary's trying to figure what this means. She's like, she's perplexed at this statement. That's what the scripture says. It says, but she was very perplexed at the statement and she kept pondering like in her heart. She's like, what kind of salutation is this? What does this mean? I'm thinking that at the very minimum, like I'm getting a new camel. Like if, if this is the thing, like favor, because that's what we think, right? We think like favor with God has got to equal something crazy. It's got to equal something good. It's got to equal uh, maybe monetary gain. She's probably trying to figure out all those kind of things. But I want to introduce you to a, a word that we're going to use today. As we walk through this passage, we're going to see some countercultural things. And the first thing I want you to see in this story is countercultural favor. And so as we read this, verse 30 uh, continues to talk. It says that the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. And I used to read that, and I used to think, you know what? Here's this one girl out of all the girls, right? And God has picked her. Like, he's picked her to deliver Jesus. Like, like if I'm picking a person to deliver, like, 
if I'm God, right, and I'm picking like anybody, a teenage girl, like I'm thinking like, I don't know how all this, you know, gets to this place, right? And so, so here he's picking her and I'm thinking, she's probably done all this stuff that has somehow caused her to be worthy of that. It's caused her to be uh, just, you know, graced in that kind of way. But in the Greek, what's interesting in this passage is that it's a perfect passive verb. And so it's in the aorist tense. And what that means is that in this picture, it's meaning she was the recipient of an action that was completed by somebody else. And so here's this, this greeting. And this greeting is emphasizing something really beautiful here. And it's emphasizing that Mary was someone who had received God's unmerited favor. That's what grace is, right? Mary is receiving God's unmerited favor. And then this is the pattern that every believer who has who surrendered their life to Christ. Every person, right? We, we're not there because of our work. We're not there. God's not looking out there and going, you know what? If, if I can just get him on the team, like if, if I can just get James on the team, like this is going to happen. We'll have a jail ministry. Now God knows all that, but he desires. It's not because we have all these gifts that he's going to somehow pick us and say, you know what? We're he says, hey, my grace is extended. And, and as his grace is extended, when, when we are born again into the family of God, God then changes us from the inside out, uses us for his glory. And we're recipients, right? When we were in Titus, we looked in chapter two and we said, the grace of God has appeared to all, right? Bringing salvation to all men. We see this picture that through the work of Christ on the cross, that his grace has been extended, that his grace and his mercy and his goodness, right? The world says, countercultural to what the world says, that we've got to somehow earn our way to heaven, right? That somehow if my good outweighs my bad, if somehow if I just do a little bit more good than a little bad, or if I somehow climb and stretch and work, that, that I'm going to be able to get there, right? We get this picture of a, a mountain and people are saying, hey, you know what? There's many ways. We just got all these roads. We're going to keep climbing. We're going to keep working. We're going to keep getting there and they'll all lead to the same place. But that's not what Christianity says. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that there's no way you can get there, that there's no way any of us can get there, that there's no way. And then God in his grace and his goodness. Instead of us having to come to him, he comes to us. That's what Christmas is all about. The incarnation, the God of heaven. He is obedient unto death, right? He humbled himself and stepped out from the glories of heaven. That's my Jesus. That's counter-cultural favor. Then he says it's unmerited, it's undeserved, and you receive it by faith. So Mary has no idea what's coming next, right? She's excited to hear about this favor. And then Verse 31, scripture says this, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. It means the Lord is salvation. He goes on, verse 32, he says, and he will be great. These are, this is great news. Mary's kind of like, wow, he'll be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom shall have no end. Now, Mary's soaking all the sin, right? In verse 34, she's like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 I'm hearing you. But how can this be? Because I'm a virgin, right? How can this be? That's what verse 34 says. How can this be? Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Now, Mary, being a good Jewish girl, knew some of this language, right? She, she was going to become the mother of the Messiah. But, right, we know this is super complicated now because we already said she's, she's betrothed to Joseph. So this is going to present some problems right here. She's hearing all this. Verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. Uh, let's flip there, and we're going to see uh, the encounter with Joseph. So Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, we see this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, 
before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. So we see some things about Joseph, right? He's a righteous man. So, so he doesn't, like he wants, he wants out of this deal because she's pregnant, right? He's like, I don't want to marry her because of this surprise pregnancy, but I also don't want to disgrace her. Now, can you imagine the conversation that took place? Like, I, I want to kind of think about it in modern times. Like all of a sudden, like Joseph gets a text from Mary and she's like, hey, you got a sec. I need to talk to you right now. <laughs> Joe's like, hey, baby. All that mushy stuff, you know, he's probably... She's like, it's not a good time for all that right now, Joe, but I need to tell you something. Are you sitting down? And Joe's like, yeah, I'm sitting down. It's good. What, what is it, baby? And she's like, I'm pregnant. And maybe she just paused there, just kind of like, and then, you know, he's just kind of taken back and maybe there's like some little dots on there so you can tell she's still texting, you know, and he's kind of like, <laughs> you're kind of watching, you know, like either she's got a little, move the cursor, right? So it doesn't show the little things, dot, dot, dot. And so he's like, wait, and then he's like, gets the text, says, and it's not yours. He's like, duh, like I knew that, right? Like you have to tell me that, Mary. Like I know that from the beginning. I know that. And then she goes a little further and she's like, it's God. Like, like it's the Holy Spirit and I'm pregnant with, and Joe's like, this is two for two. You're out. Like I'm telling you, not only are you pregnant, but you're crazy, right? That's what he, I'm, I mean, can you imagine getting that text? Like, I'm thinking about when Sherry and I are, are, are dating. If she sends me a text, like, we didn't have text messaging back then, but because um, we're old, but like, she calls me and she's like, I'm pregnant. It's not yours. Yeah, I know. And uh, by the way, it's, you know, the Lord, the angel. And I'm thinking, there's no way, right? And then this is what we read. So Joseph, he's righteous. He's going to put her away privately. But then in verse 20, it says, when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So, so here's this angel shows up to Joseph in a dream. And he's like, it's true. It's true. Don't be afraid to take her. Don't, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. She's going to bear a son. And he said, here's your job, Joseph. You're going to adopt uh, the, the son of God in you're going to adopt him. And, and then uh, as he, as, as you raise him, right, you're going to see something beautiful. You're going to bear a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. And the reason you're going to do that is because he's going to save his people from their sins, right? So here's Joseph. He said, this is your job, right? You're going to name your son Jesus because he's going to save you. And Joseph, as a good Jew, he's probably having his mind stirred a little bit too. Maybe he's, maybe he's stirring back to Isaiah chapter 7. And we're going to see that verse quoted in, in the next verses in verse 23. Look at verse 22. He says, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. So this is Isaiah seven fourteen quoted in Matthew uh, chapter uh, number one, right? Isn't that crazy? Verse 23 says this, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, which translated means God with us, right? And that, that's good news right in the midst of this. I mean, I can't help but pause just a minute because as I look around this room, there are people that are walking through so many difficult things, right? As I think about those that are in the hospitals, I think about the Trammell families, I think about uh, so many families, right, that are walking through difficult things and families that have lost loved ones this year and have walked through difficult things. And we're thinking, how in the world am I going to get through this Christmas? How in the world am I going to get through these kind of things? And I don't know the answers to all those things when it comes to the ways of this culture. But what I can tell you is that you have a God who is really 
with you, right? And a God who, who is in the midst of your brokenness and who entered into the brokenness. And, and I can tell you that there's better days that are coming. And so we're going to see Mary and Joseph, they respond with something. So there's countercultural favor. And it's crazy, right? Because it's different. It's not something we earn. It's unmerited. There's this countercultural favor. And then we're going to see countercultural faith. Look at how they respond. Now, can I remind you that, that to believe and to have faith, that it's not a, a feeling, right? That it's a decision. We believe and, and we, we see how they respond in this. Look, they're going to respond to this call that has been given to them. And it's crazy to see what they'll do. Now, a lot of times we want to think about God calls us to something. We know we're supposed to do something. And there's a part in us that says, you know what? If you'll just give me peace, uh, then I'll go do that. But what we find many times is that peace comes in our obedience. Peace comes after our obedience. It's not always like there's some of you that maybe uh, you, you have a, a loved one that doesn't know Christ and you're supposed to share the gospel with them, right? Or maybe today you're, you're supposed to, to love on a waitress and to share the good news of the gospel after church today. Or maybe you're whatever those kind of things are and you feel that nudge, you feel the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you know what? I want you to do these kind of things. And you have that choice. Like, am I going to walk in obedience to this? Is that what I'm going to do in this moment? Right? Is that, is that where I'm going to be? And, and if you're sitting there going, you know what, God, if you'll just give me peace about that, right? No, you're going to be scared. You're going to be anxious, right? But you're going to be obedient. Now, what you're going to find is you're going to experience peace as you walk in obedience to Christ. Now, here, they're in this moment, and they're, they're knowing, like, like Nazareth, they didn't put it out through the mass text message, right? This is not the way it worked out. Here's the deal. Everybody else is not going to understand. The angel didn't come to all of Nazareth, right? And we know how they respond. We know how Mary and Joseph respond because we know the story. But here's the reality. They didn't know how all the details were going to work out. They didn't know how much uh, difficulty they were going to face. They didn't know how much ridicule that was going to be talked about them. They didn't know any of those things. And, and maybe they felt like coming in. And, and I love in this story that you don't see them saying, hey, uh, angel, if you'll let everybody know, um, then we'll just go through with this deal. I mean, it'll be fine. Just if you could tell everybody, no, no that, that's not the response. They just respond in obedience. And here's what we're called to do as cross followers. We're to trust in the character of God. That, that's what we're to do. We're to say, you know what? I don't understand everything about all that's going on in my life right now. I don't understand everything uh, about all of it, but I know uh, that I can trust in, in the goodness of God, that I know I can do that. And obedience, when we do that, obedience without conditions, that's what glorifies God. When we have all these conditions, right? Sometimes we glorify ourselves. We say, hey, you know what? If all these things will fall into place, if all these things will happen, then I'll do it. But when we say, God, I, I'm obedient unto you without any conditions. I surrender. My life is yours. It brings God glory. Look at verse 24, Matthew chapter one. Then we'll look at Mary's response. Joseph awoke from his sleep. Here's what he did. He did just as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took Mary as his wife. That's what he did. Look at verse 37 uh, in the gospel of Luke. And we're going to see uh, chapter one, verse 37. Let's look and see how Mary responded. And so the angel tells her, hey, nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 36, as we look at it, let's just look back um, one verse further. And so she's heard, hey, the power of the most high will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. And then he says this, for nothing will be impossible with God. Like we, we want to recognize that, right? That's the greatness of our God. And then verse 38, Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, right? This is counterculture humility. This is countercultural surrender. She says, behold, the bond slave of 
the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Like that, that's my heart today, that every one of us, that that would be our response to the Christmas story. That'd be response to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit speaks to our lives. That'd be our response today at lunch. That'd be our response tonight when we're home and we're away from uh, the gathered body of Christ, right? That'd be our response when we're in our workplace on Monday. That that'd be our response, right? That we w- would say, God, do unto me. So, so they experience this countercultural favor, right? The grace of God is unmerited favor. We experience that through the cross of Christ, that God... Uh, has sent his son into the world, that he's died uh, in our place, right? And we, uh, the grace of God, right, has been extended. And we see that this countercultural faith they have, they just believed God. They just believed his word and, and they trusted in him. And they were countercultural followers. You'll see this uh, in the sticks, right? They were obedient. That's what they did. That's what countercultural followers of Jesus Christ, that's what followers of Jesus do. They, they follow him, they're obedient to him, they're transformed by him, and they walk in obedience, right? And here's the thing. These are, you look at Mary, this is a young person, right? If you're a young person in here and you think you're young, like I don't care how old you are, if you think you're young, just kind of look at me, right? Young people are to live lives in countercultural obedience to Jesus Christ now. You know, sometimes we think about these stupid years that people go through and we think, you know what? Well, they're teenagers. They're, they're going to go, you know, off the track right here for a bit. Of, they're in middle school. They're in high school. They're in that kind of thing. Mary here, she's 12, 13, 14, 15, however old she was. And, and maybe you're in here and you're that age or maybe you have kids that are that age and you're thinking, I wouldn't trust them with a cell phone, much less Jesus, right? Maybe you're thinking like to deliver him, right? You're thinking that kind of thing. But here's the reality. These rebellious years, all these things that we see, God it's not called us to that. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has called you to be holy. He's called you to walk with God right now, to be an example, right? Not to let anyone look down on you because you're young, but to be an example among the believers, to live your life in countercultural obedience to Jesus, right? In counterculture of Jesus, saying, hey, you know what? You're not free to rebel and live your life a sin. You're not free to walk down those things. You're saying, you know what? You've been bought with a price, and we're to glorify God in our bodies. And so we're going to walk with God. That's the challenge for you, young people. Walk with God in obedience to him. And here's the truth, what we see in Mary and Joseph. They had to give up coal to walk with Jesus. They're not, I mean, they're facing ridicule. They're facing all those kind of things. And if you're a young person in here, you may have to give up coal to walk with Jesus because the culture is going to say, you've got to conform to all these things. And if you're not cussing and you're not carrying on and you're not dressing a certain way and you're not doing these kind of things and listening to this kind of music and talking this way in the locker room and doing all these kind of things, then you're not going to fit in. But, but, let me tell you, you're going to have to give up cool to be obedient to Christ, to live counter-culture. And older people, whatever that is for us in this room, right, we're going to have to give up our comfort and we're going to have to give up our convenience. And we're going to, we're going to have to give up those things if we're going to walk in obedience to Christ. Young people are going to have to give up some cool. Us old people, we gave up our cool a long time ago. We just didn't know it, right? But every one of us in the room, we have opportunities to respond to the work of God every single day. And we have to choose, hey, are we going to care more about what people think? Are we going to care more about all those things? Are we going to, to surrender our lives, right? And to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm ordinary. There's nothing special about me, but there's an extraordinary God that has saved my soul. And I want to walk in obedience to him. I want to live my life in a way uh, that would bring him glory, right? You may be just God speaking to your heart. You know, you're supposed to be sharing your faith at school, at work, wherever those places are, maybe in your family, maybe some of you here this Christmas, maybe there's relationships in your life that, that you've had unforgiveness toward for years. Maybe this Christmas, 
Christmas. You're to demonstrate what it looks like to follow Jesus and extending forgiveness to somebody that's wronged you. That's what, man, you look at the grace of God that's been extended to us, and we model that, right? As we live and look like Jesus, we extend grace. We extend forgiveness as we walk in obedience to him. Maybe there's some of you that are in this room, and you're saying, you know what? Retirement is here. Thank you, Lord, right? I'm going to spend all my time doing whatever I want to do. Maybe that's not the call that God has given you, right? He's saying, you know what? You're retired, and now you have time to do what I want you to do. And you say, well, I don't know what that is. Well, he'll tell you, right? You give him your time and, and your talents and your treasures and everything that you have, right? We come to him in surrender and obedience and God does something beautiful in our lives. Maybe it's to lead a D group. Maybe it's to be involved in a D group. Maybe it's to connect in that kind of way. Maybe it's to take a next step of obedience in baptism. Maybe God's speaking to you and you're here to do that today, right? Maybe like, right, delayed obedience is disobedience. God expects that we hear his word and that we respond immediately, right? We're, we're to be people. I was talking to some teenagers. And I said, what does it look like to live countercultural? And they said, you know what? It looks like living the same way all the time, right? No matter whether you're at school or in this room, if the way that you're acting at school or the way that you're acting on Saturday night and wherever you're at or the way that you're acting in the locker room would be a way that you can't act in this room, you need to repent and you need to follow Jesus, right? You need to, to live and surrender in obedience to him. Right, if the way you're acting in your family, right, if it ain't working at home, like if your Christianity is not working in those environments, then it is not working. See, the culture says be a chameleon, just kind of get in the spot wherever you're at and conform to that because it's easy and it doesn't cost you anything, right? But the Christmas story is not a call to that, the Christmas story is a call to surrender, right? It's a story of obedience, it's a story, right? You think about Mary and Joseph, I'm gonna tell you what else it is. We, we look at it, and we look at the beautiful manger scene and we look at all the things right there, it's a story of inconvenience. Like following Jesus is not all of a sudden everything gets easy in your life, contrary to what some TV preachers will tell you, right? That's not what we see in the scriptures, right? What, what we see in the scriptures, right, is at the very minimum, right, following Jesus that requires inconvenience, right? I look back and there's families in here that are fostering children and, and people that are walking in, in difficult situations, right? The call to follow Christ is not always easy. It's not always convenient. It's, it's fact is it's more likely the other way, right? It is a story. The Christmas story is a story of inconvenience, but what a glorious story it is. I want you to lean in. Joseph and Mary, they surrender their lives to Jesus. They surrender their lives to God, and they deliver the Savior to the world. Can you imagine being those people, right? They surrender to God, and they deliver Jesus to the world. Jesus surrendered his life, and he went to a cross, and he made a way for us to have peace with God. We surrender our lives, and we receive salvation, and then we have the blessing and the privilege of being able, under the authority of Christ, right, to go into all the world and to preach and teach and to share the good news of the gospel and to make disciples and to deliver Jesus to this world. And you're thinking, you know what, there's no way I can walk in obedience. There's no way I can do all those things. That's the good news of the gospel. God knew we couldn't. And so he sent Jesus to live the life that we couldn't live, to, to do that in a way and, and to die in our place, right, to die the death that we deserved. And Jesus rose from the grave and he ascended into heaven, right? And we see that when followers of Christ, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, when we surrender our life to him, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and we no longer uh, have to do it on our own. Did, did you notice in Matthew 28 when we read that earlier, it said, no, it said, and lo, I will be with you even unto the end of the age. And, and he said, you're going to bear something and, and his name, right, will be translated, right? It'll mean Emmanuel, God with us. We are not here left to, to walk through the darkness of this life in our own 
strength. We are not left to, to fight our own battles. We're not left to somehow muster up enough strength in ourselves to be able to walk in obedience to Christ. See, the life of a Jesus follower, it is not. See, all my life, I said, you know what? The life of a Jesus follower, it meant that I'm going to somehow muster up some courage. And I'm going to muster up some strength. And I'm going to live for Jesus, right? That we see these people, they say, you know what? I've decided to follow Jesus. I'm buried with him in baptism, raised a new life in Christ. And now I'm going to muster up enough strength every day to live my life for Jesus. That's not the gospel. The gospel says that you have been saved and born again into the family of God. And now Jesus is going to live his life in and through you. And the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. And your life is a life of surrender to the Savior. And the Spirit of God will give you strength for everything God calls you to. And some of that will happen on the journey of obedience. God, we see them believe incredible things, believe unbelievable things. And we see God do the miraculous in their life. See, the call to follow Christ is simple, but it is costly. And our response to God's gracious gift of salvation is surrender, right? That's our, our response. Romans 10 says this, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you could be saved, right? We believe if you've never trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, we believe trusting in the finished work of the cross, right? We believe trusting Jesus with everything, right? Surrendering our lives to him. Jesus is Lord. We don't make him Lord. We surrender to him as Lord and we are saved. We are changed by his grace and by his goodness. He fills us with his spirit and, and, and he enables us to walk in newness of life. Not in our own strength, but in his and our call, right? It's to surrender and to abide in him, to live the life of a Jesus follower. So how will we respond to the message of his grace today? What's God calling us to? And, and may our response, may, may it be that of God doing to me, Lord, according to your word. May it be unto me, God, whatever your will is, God, I'm walking that. God, my life is yours. I surrender. Lord, I want to live, right? Remember when Maitland was sharing her testimony from the, the mission trip and she said, you know, I just want to live. So I just want to live open-handed to the Lord. I just want to live that way. Right, that's our call that we might say, you know what, I, I want to live open-handed to the Lord. God, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it, God. I'm, I'm going to walk in that, not, not in my own strength, but in yours, Lord. And I, I just want to live open-handed, Lord, to whatever you would call me to. I want to ask you just to bear in closure. I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come. We're going to worship. And, and, and what we do, the gospel demands a response, right? We, we hear the good news of the gospel and we worship. We hear the good news of the gospel. And, and maybe you've already uh, trusted Christ. You've been saved. You've been born again into the family of God. And we worship. We uh, rejoice in all that God has done. And I encourage you just to reflect on the gospel. Reflect on, uh, on that time that God saved you. That he, that he reached down and just pulled you out of the myrrh and the mints, right? And he saved us. And I want you just to think about those moments. Think about all that Christ has done for you. Maybe you're here and you've never uh, surrendered your life to Christ. You'd say, you know what? I've heard the gospel. I know uh, about Jesus, but I've never trusted him for salvation. I've never, uh, I've never surrendered my life to Christ. I, I, I believe this morning and I, I, I want to come just with open arms and surrender my life to him, confessing my need, right, for salvation, my need because of our sin, we're separated from God and we confess our need uh, for his salvation, for his grace, for his mercy. We call on his name, right? Believing with everything, trusting him. If that's you, I want to encourage you this morning that you might come and that you might kneel and, and surrender to him and that you might call on his name and that you might be born again, saved. Maybe you're here and you've never 
I've been baptized, you'd say, you know what? I know that I've been saved. I know God saved me. I know uh, that I've surrendered my life to Christ, but, but I've never been baptized after that point. I've never uh, walked in obedience to that command to be baptized. And, and I want to tell you this morning, the, the water is here. Uh, I think there's even some clothes you can change into. And even if there wasn't, I'd, I'd rather go home wet and obedient than dry and disobedient this morning. And so if that's you, as God speaks to your heart, my hope is that you will respond immediately in obedience to him. Whatever that is. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy. And God, we pray in the power of your spirit, God, that you would call us all to our next step. God, whatever that is. Lord, in these moments of worship, in these moments of, of time together, Lord, even in these moments as we pray, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, God, that you might speak to hearts in this room. God, that you might tell us clearly what our next step is. What our next step in following you. And God, may we respond immediately in obedience. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. And we ask this in your strong and mighty name. Amen. Will you stand?